everyone and welcome to today's episode of the hashtag cause a scene book club um, selection of how to be an anti-racist chapter 16 failure so we're going to jump right into this because i am ready to get started with my holiday plans uh, which is nothing but relaxing and so we're going to start with the definition activist one who has a record of power and policy change and we're on page 201 To understand why racism lives is to understand the history of anti-racist failure, why people have failed to create anti-racist societies. To understand the racial history of failure is to understand failed solutions and strategies. To understand failed solutions and strategies is to understand their cradles, failed racial ideologies. Incorrect conceptions of race as a social construct as opposed to a power construct of racial history as a singular march of racial progress as opposed to a duel of anti-racist and racist progress, of the race problem as rooted in ignorance and hate as opposed to powerful self-interest, all come together to produce solutions bound to fail. These repetitive failures extract a toll. Racial history does not repeat harmlessly. Instead, its devastation multiplies when generation after generation repeat the same failed strategies and solutions and ideologies rather than bearing past failures in the caskets of past generations. Um, This is so true, so true, so true. Mm. And this is why I have to be strategic about what I do, because I definitely see um, how it's how these how our initiatives and efforts have failed in the past and have literally worn people out and literally killed people. Um, the white judge birthed the black judge. So I have a note here um, on, on the page, the bottom of page 202. It says the white judge birthed the black judge. And my note in the margin is this speaks directly to my challenge that blacks can be racist. What is given can also be taken away. This is not freedom. The judge straps the entire black race on the black body's back, shove the burdened black body into black spaces, ordered the burdened black body to always act in an upstanding manner to persuade away white racism and punish poor black conduct with sentences of shame for reinforcing racism, for bringing the race down. I felt the burden my whole black life to be perfect before both white people and the black people judging whether I was representing the race well. The judges never let me just be be myself, be my imperfect self. And in the margin, I wrote, individual white folks don't experience the burden of whiteness. Um, And this is why, again, highlights to me that, for me, confirms, solidifies my belief that black people cannot be racist um, because whiteness never has the same burden. If at some point we are all carrying the same burden, all benefiting from whiteness in the same ways, then yes, then white black folks can be racist. But until that time, they cannot. On page 204, harmless white fun is black lawlessness. So that's the same, again, same thing. White people, oh, it's just a joke. He was just, you know, he's just a boy. Boys will be boys. Um, it does not equate to blackness. When whiteness, for harmless white fun for is black lawlessness for black folks. 
Um, we thought on the false continuum from more racist to less racist to not racist. We believe good black behavior made white people less racist, even when our experiences told us it usually did not. And I wrote here, this again highlights the inequity of power dynamics. Black behavior is responsible for white racism. Um, again, this is again, I'm going to keep keep hitting this hammering this home, this message home, because he brought this up in the book about black people being having the ability to be racist. And we see this time and time again as we engage with people um, who will take this 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 mantra, this this one out. You know, you give whiteness the uh, crack it will bust the door open. And I want to give you every tool you I can for you to challenge those those conceptions, challenge those views, challenge when that that happens. Because at some point, somebody's going to say, well, Dr. Kendi said that, and I want you to have a, a ready, available counter to that. Back on um, 204, today, the few critiques would be made. We would critique paternalistic white abolitionists conjuring up uplifts suasion. We'd argue against the assumption that poor black Conduct is responsible for white racist ideas, meaning white racist ideas about black conduct are valid. We critique the white judge exonerating white people from the responsibility to rid themselves of their own racist ideas. Upwardly mobile black people deflecting responsibility for changes racist policies by imagining they are uplifting the race by uplifting themselves. The entire impossibility of perfectly executed uplift suasion since black people are humanly imperfect we notice that when racist whites see black people conducting themselves admirably in public they see those blacks as extraordinary let me do that again meaning not like those ordinary inferior black people we remember what history teaches us that when a racist policy knocks black people down the judge orders them to uplift themselves only to cut them down again by racist terror and policies. To be anti-racist is to let me be me, be myself, be my imperfect self. So your assignment one is, from page 204, identify and evaluate current policies that hold blacks responsible for the racist ideas and beliefs of whiteness. Again, on page 204, identify and evaluate current policies that hold blacks responsible for the racist ideas and beliefs of whiteness. All right, so we're going to go on to page 205. Moral and educational and uplift suasion failed miserably in stopping the astounding growth of slavery in the age of cotton before the Civil War. But success apparently does not matter when a strategy stems from an ideology. Moral and education suasion focus on persuading white people on appealing to their moral conscience through horror and their logical mind through education. But if racist ideas make people illogical, what is persuading everyday white people is not persuading racist policymakers? What if racist policymakers know about the harmful outcomes of their policies? What if racist policymakers have neither morals nor conscience, let alone moral conscience, to paraphrase Malcolm X? What if no group in history has gained their freedom through appealing to the moral conscience of their oppressor? To paraphrase Ashanti um, Shakur, what if economic, political, and cultural self-interest drives racist policymakers, not hateful, more immorality, nor ignorance? 
And so I wrote in the margins here, this speaks to the heart of the, my strong boundaries and clearly communicating that my work is neither to convert or convince. Through its behavior, whiteness has demonstrated that it doesn't deserve this level of benefit of the doubt or, assum- or assumption of positive, positive intent. Continuing on on page 206, if I could save the union without freeing any slave, I would do it. And if I could save it by freeing all the slaves, I would do it. President Abraham Lincoln wrote in August, 2000, August 20th, 1862. What I do about slavery and the colored race, I do because I believe it helps to save the union. And so I wrote here, these are calculated risk management decisions. So everyone wants to talk about Lincoln doing these altruistic, you know, moral. No, this was about saving the union and he would have done anything to save the union. That was the bottom line. For years, uh, let me do that again. For many years, it was the theory of most Negro leaders that white America did not know or did not know of or realize the continuing plight of the Negro. Du, um, du Bois spoke for himself, believing the ultimate evil was stupidity earlier in his commu- in his career. Accordingly, for the last two decades, we have striven by book and periodical, to by speech and appeal, by various dy- dramatic methods of agitation, to put the essential facts before the American people. Today. There can be no doubt that Americans know the facts, and yet they remain, for the most part, indifferent and unmoved. Um, and this is um, a, a recent reminds me of a recent tweet. There's a difference. There's a vast difference between um, being ignorant and being willfully ignorant. Um, but here's what I put in the margin. This is why I will not engage in debating what is racist racism. Um, Google it fails to acknowledge will for ignorance. So um, I need people to understand this. I find that many of you are engaging with people and I need you to go back to the um, hashtag cause a scene, how to be anti-racist um, strategy episode, because many of you are, are acting and engaging in ways as if the assumption is that people are ignorant. Um, and I I'm not no longer taking that approach. My assumption is that people are willfully ignorant. Um, and because to say Google it there, there's people can find porn. People can find the, the, the air fryer. People can Google anything the fuck they want to. But when it comes to talking about racism, inclusion and diversity, anything about the oppression and the harm and the discrimination against marginalized, marginalized groups, they, everybody forgets how to use the fucking computer. So I'm no longer um, extending that to people. There is no doubt in the writer's opinion that the great majority of white people in America would be prepared to give the Negro a substantially better deal if they knew the facts. So this is question two from page 107. How would your activism change if you accept it and internalize that whiteness is not, in all caps, not racist due to a lack of information or knowledge? Again, how would your activism change if you accept it and internalize that whiteness is not, all caps, not racist due to a lack of information and knowledge? Okay, um, I'm on page, again, starting at the page, uh, bottom of page 207. 
racist power started civil rights legislation out of self-interest. We've had it wrong and mixed up in this country. And this has led Negro Americans in the past to seek their goals through love and moral suasion devoid of power. The problem of race has always been at its core a problem of power, not the problem of immorality and ignorance. Moral and educational suasion breeds the assumption that racist minds must be changed before racist policies ignoring the history that says otherwise. Um, this is hugely, let me read that again. Moral and education suasion breeds the assumption that racist minds must be changed before racist policies, ignoring history that says otherwise. This is why I don't, I, I don't espouse to the empathy. I don't espouse to the compassionate coding. I don't, I don't, I don't assume positive intent, um, benefited it out. None of this. What I am and firmly and will be moving forward with in 2020 is I don't, we don't need all this to, 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 we don't need people to understand for them to, for policies to change. Mm -mm, no, you're going to get understanding because you're going to have to deal with the consequences of your behavior once these policies and process, and, and once these policies change, we're going to change the policies. We're going to change how we focus. We're going to change. We're going to, you know, start focusing on minimizing harm, minimizing harm foremost. And in that, in focusing on that policies are going to have to change. When those policies change, then people will understand when they have to deal with the consequences of those actions. Same thing with code of conduct. That is a bare minimum. It's a policy change, and people are pushing back on that. But right now, code of conduct don't have the bite, the consequences that we need. We need these in organizations, communities, and events. So this is what I'm not waiting on anybody anymore. Again, this is not about convincing or converting. This is about we are moving forward because we are focusing on the most vulnerable and prioritizing their needs because we can no longer have a, a, allow and enable them to be harmed while other folks, white folks, figure, figure this shit out. Nope, that's not going to be an option anymore. We're moving forward. Uh, we're changing policies. And you will have to deal with the consequences of your behaviors once those policies change. That's how you're going to learn. It's, it's the same thing as, 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 as parenting or as being a great educator. Some things need to be learned through through consequences. Some things need a lot of things need to be learned through pain and discomfort. And what I've learned is the whiteness can take a whole lot of discomfort. So at this point, I'm, I need you to be in pain. I need you to feel, feel feel some loss, feel some loss on the same level as these individuals who you have been terrorizing. And until then, you won't even start thinking about how you're how, you know, this is not about self-interest. You won't start thinking about, you know, hey. I should not be doing this. I don't need to understand. I don't need to understand your suffering for me to real. Once I realize that what I'm doing is causing you suffering, that should be enough for me or has the potential to cause suffering. That should be enough for me to change shift, shift um, perspectives and to shift my ideas and to shift my actions. If the potential, if knowing the potential for harm does not change me, then fucking consequences will. Okay. Back on page 208. Racist policymakers drum up fear of anti-racist policies through racist ideas, knowing that the policies were implemented. The fears they circulate would never come to pass. Once the fear do, once the fears do not come to pass, people will let down their guards as they enjoy the benefits. Once they clearly benefit, most Americans will support and become the defenders of anti-racist policies they once feared. 
To fight for mental and moral changes after policy is changed means fighting alongside growing benefits and the dissipation of fears, making it possible for anti-racist power to succeed. To fight for mental and moral change as a prerequisite of policy change is to fight against growing fears and apathy, making it almost impossible for anti-racist power to succeed. And so I wrote in the margins, this is fundamentally what hashtag college scene is all about. It is not, it is not, I don't need you to morally and mentally change as a prerequisite for policy changes. It's going to be an, it's going to happen. Or it's not. Either we're going to change these policies and you are going to have an awakening or you're not. And you're going to be escorted out this industry. But we're no longer waiting for you. On page 209. The original problem of racism has not been solved by suasion. Knowledge is only power if knowledge is put to the struggle for power. Changing minds is not a movement. Critiquing racism is not activism. Changing minds is not activism. Again, I am not here to persuade, convince, or convert. Changing minds is not activism. And activists produces power and policy change, not my mental change. If a person has no record of policy or power change, that person is not an activist. And this is why I don't take your bullshit. If you do not have a history, uh, can show me a demonstrated consistent history of, of the things you're doing to change fundamentally how shit works, then there's nothing you can, you are a waste to me. You are absolutely, I have no value. You, uh, this is not about you talking. This is not about your fucking title as an ally. I don't care about that shit. I need to see the work that you're doing. Okay, at the bottom of 209, but were we willing to do anything? Were we willing to risk our freedom for their freedom? And then I wrote here, I think about this a lot. How far am I willing to go? And I I really tell you, I'm not trying to be a martyr for this work. There, I don't believe we have to be a martyr for this work. Um, But this work needs to happen. Um, and this is what I, um, no one needs to be killed of, 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 of doing this work. But the fact that that is an option, the fact that that may happen tells you then, tells you already that this work needs to happen and we can't wait on people to change their fucking minds because they're willing to kill so that this shit doesn't happen. Again, on page two, um, bottom of t- 209, we formulate and populate and donate to cultural and behavioral and educational enrichment programs to make ourselves feel better, feeling they are helping racial groups when they are only helping or hurting individuals, when only policy change helps groups. And this is why, again, going to keep hammering this, we need to, the hashtag cause scene is, the tagline is the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. The, the strategic disruption means we have to change policies. It's not about just being people think being on Twitter means something. Being on Twitter means absolutely that's just a step. That's a strategy to get attention, but that does not do anything uh, if our work does not uh, fundamentally um, lead to changes that prioritize the most vulnerable. We arrive at demonstrations excited, as if our favorite musician is playing at on the speaker stage. We convince ourselves that we are doing something to solve the racial problem when we are really doing something to satisfy our feelings. I mean, this is a lot of you. You have to understand, you have to be honest with yourselves. Most of you are here because you feel shitty uh, and it's all about you. Uh, it's about all about the fact that you are realizing that you're complicit in the harm of other people. 
and we need you to get move yourself. And that's why you continue to center yourself because it's all about you. We go home fulfilled like we dined at our favorite restaurant. And this fulfillment is fleeting like a drug high. The problems of inequity and injustice persist. They persistently make us feel bad and guilty. We persistently do something to make ourselves feel better as we convince ourselves that we're making society better, as we never make society better. And this is one thing I'm really pushing back on the term social justice. I don't know what I want to call it because this is, yeah, I don't know what this thing is called. I don't I need to find a term for the, what this thing is called because I'm not a social justice warrior um, at all. This is not about social justice being a social justice warrior. Um what if instead of a feelings advocacy, we had an outcomes advocacy that had equitable outcomes before our guilt and anguish? What if we focused our human and fiscal resources on changing the power and policy to actually make society not just our feelings better? And then I put in the margins. This is, oh, I'm so happy that I developed the, um, this is what the guiding principles are. This is where where we get the tech is not neutral, where we get the lack of inclusion is a risk management issue, where we get the, the intention without strategy is chaos. And, and the most important one that we have to prioritize the most vulnerable. And then I put in the margin, this is what hashtag called the scene and the alliance are all about. Although one was more intentional than the other. So the alliance that is coming up is an anti-racist um, tech agenda where we'd be offline um, well, not offline, we'll be online, but in a private, we'll be off social media in a private space where we can de- talk, learn, develop strategy and move forward. OK, so now I'm going to page 112 and I'd say, what if we measure the radicalism of speech by how radical it transforms open minded people, by how the speech liberates the anti-racist power within? What if we measure the conservatism of speech by how intensely it keeps people the same, keeps people enslaved by their racist ideas and fears, conserving their inequitable society. We do not have to be fearless like Harriet Tubman to be anti-racist. We have to be courageous to be anti-racist. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) anti-racist. We have to be courageous to be anti-racist. Courage is the strength to do what is right in the face of fear, as the anonymous philosopher tells us. I gain insight into what's right from anti-racist ideas. I gain strength from fear. While many people are fearful of what could happen if they resist, I am fearful of what could happen if I do not resist. Yes, 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 yes. I am fearful of cowardice. Cowardice is the inability to amass, to amass the strength to do what is right in the face of fear. A racist power has been terrorizing cowardice into us for generations. Yes. A racist as racist ideas intend to make us ignorant and hateful, racist terror intends to make us fear. All right, I'm going to the last paragraph on 213. When we fail to open the closed-minded consumers of racist ideas, we blame our closed-mindedness instead of our foolish decisions to waste time reviving closed minds from the dead. When our vicious attacks on open-minded consumers of racist ideas fail to transform them, we blame their hate rather than our impatient and alienating hate of them. When we, when people fail to consume our convulsing, um, 
racist ideas. We blame our, their stupidity rather than our stupid lack of clarity. When we transform people and do not show them the avenue of support, we blame their lack of commitment rather than our lack of guidance. When we, when the politicians we support it does not change racist policies, we blame the intractability of racism rather than the support of the wrong politicians. When we fail to gain the support of a protest, we blame the fearful rather than our alienating presentations. When the protest fails, we blame racist power rather than the flawed protest. When our policy does not produce racial equity, we blame the people for not taking advantage of the opportunity not our failed policy solution. The failure doctrine avoids the mirror of self-blame. The failure doctrine begets failure. The failure doctrine begets racism. So I put in the margins here. This line of thought is tricky and speaks again to the fact of the issues are not um, binary and how when we aren't careful, the most vulnerable are harmed. This is why it's important, so important to follow the guiding principles that intention without strategy is chaos. What if anti-racists constantly self-critique their own ideas? I think that's important. I do this all the time. What if we blamed our ideologies and methods, studied our ideologies and methods, refined our ideologies and methods again and again until they worked? I agree with that. What? When will we finally stop the insanity of doing the same thing repeatedly and expecting different results. Totally agree with that. Anti-racist power must be flexible to meet, to match the flexibility of racist power, propelled only by the craving of power to shape policy in their inequitable interests. Racist power believes in by any means necessary. And I totally believe in this. And this is, uh, again, why you have to have strategy and why I, um, you see it with white supremacist ideologies. They can shift that to any new. This shit is, is centuries old, but yet it still works in 20, um, 21st century, 2019, 2020, because they're able to shift. They're able to be flexible. They're able to, to even in our heads. It doesn't make sense when they say it. We're like, what? But they're able to be flexible in their in their uh, rhetoric that it, 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 it updates. And we need to be the same way. As we critique the privilege and inactions of racist power, we show our privilege and inaction by critiquing every effective strategy, ultimately justifying our inaction on the comfortable seat of privilege. Anything but flexible, we are too often bound by ideologies that are bound by failed strategies of racist change. What if we assess the methods and leaders and organizations by the results of policy change and equity? What if strategies and policy solutions stem not from ideologies, but from problems? What if anti-racists were prepared only by the craving of power to shape policy in their equitable interest? So question um, assignment number three is, based on your role as a member of the hashtag causing community, evaluate your personal effort as an anti-racist against the guiding principles. Uh, which are tech is not neutral. Um, attention without strategy is chaos. Lack of inclusion is a risk management issue and prioritize the most vulnerable. Um, so based on the role, your role as a member of the hashtag causes community, evaluate your personal effort as an anti-racist against the guided principles. 
what strategies can you implement to challenge that challenge the discriminatory and harmful policies and practices within the tech industry? So that is what your assignment is. Um, and then on page 215, we use ter- the terms demonstration and protest interchangeably at our own peril, like we interchangeably use the term mobilizing and organizing. A protest is organizing people for the prolonged campaign that forces racist power to change a policy. Demonstration is mobilizing people momentarily to publicize a problem. So I want to give you an example of this. So a protest is what hashtag cause the scene is. We are protesting the harm. We are protesting the status quo and technical organizations, communities, and events. The different things we do as we engage on Twitter, um, as we has the podcast, as um, the Alliance, as Hashtag Causing Jobs, as the conferences that I used to do, those are demonstrations of a campaign. Those are, um, that is what a demonstration, those are our demonstrations. So we mobilize somebody for momentary to publicize a problem. So when we highlight, when I comment, retweet um, some bullshit on Twitter, that is a part of a demonstration. So we can think of those as demonstrations. They're momentary because as we've seen, once the once the, the 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 dust settles, these individuals come back on Twitter and act like nothing fucking happened. You know the same thing with um with girl develop it. The 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 old um the former chapter leaders in that organization are doing a protest. The hashtag um the um, girl develop it strike hashtag girl GDI strike is their protest. They are in it for the long haul. Every time some there's a mention of. Um, girl development, they mobilize. So this is the mobilization part. They, this is the demonstration part. And they come together to say, hey, so-and-so, did you know that this was going on? So the protest is ongoing. The demonstration it, are the things that pop up as things happen. All right. Useless power cannot economically or politically or professionally afford bad press. Power typically ignores demonstrations. And so we saw, see that with girl development. They have ignored the demonstrations, but they don't realize that there, there's an ongoing protest um, here. Um, and same thing when we engage on Twitter. People can try to ignore the, the demonstrations, and they do. You know, they'll go off and, or they'll, you know, send their attack dogs or, you know, they'll screenshot some shit. And then they'll, they, but they, they don't understand that we're here for the protest. The most effective demonstrations like the most effective educational efforts, help people find that the anti-racist power within. And this is what this is. I use it as a strategy to highlight the problem. There are so many people who come back and say, shit, I, it wasn't until I saw how you engaged on Twitter that I now see what the problem is. And so that's what this is. It's a demonstration. The most effective demonstrations, like the most effective educational efforts, provides methods for people to give their anti-racist power, to give their human and financial resources, channeling attendees and their funds into organizations and protest and and power season campaigns. And this is the call to action. And this is where the sponsorship comes in. This is where if you, if you have the ability to support hashtag cause a scene on a monthly basis of a hundred dollars, this is where this work becomes important because um, this is where you need to put your money where your mouth is. This is where 
The demonstrations help you realize that there's a problem, but what are you doing? Are you just being a voyeur and parasite? Are you going to continue to do that as whiteness? Are you going to continue the legacy of white? As important as finding the anti-racist power within and financial support, demonstrations can provide emotional support for ongoing protests. And this is why the community is so important. This is why you should be supporting Hashtag Cause of Scene as a sponsor, because it functions. And you have the ability to give to be a monthly sponsor. You should. There, there is no act. There is no excuse for you not to be supporting this work because it benefits us all. At the bottom of two fifteen, I need to be able to pay my bills and do what I need to do and support, provide this emo- emotional support for the community as a whole. Provide a safe space for those who are not feeling safe. Provide a one-on-one lessons that I often do in my DMs with people getting them to understand what this work is. It is not just about doing going out here and I see many people doing it. There are people who rage on Twitter constantly and they don't have and it's very obvious to me they don't have a strategy. The strategy is I guess just to be angry. I am not an angry person so that's not what I want to do and anger does not lead to change. Not like this. It leads to people becoming harmed. So, yes, we have momentary moments where we fucking get angry because somebody has done some shit that angered us. And yet that's not our that's not our um, mission. That is not our, how we our protest moves forward. And yet people who are in this space, who are angry, who are disillusioned, who feel guilty, need support. And this is what this community is about. And this is why I always speak of, about us as a community. Uh, yes, this is uh, this is something I founded. Yes, I get to dictate how it moves, but this is a community effort because we have to support each other. Um, And at the top, I put, um, um, as defined, Twitter is a way to demonstrate that hashtag cause the scene is as a protest. So I've already said that. Um, The most effective protests create an environment whereby changing the racist policy becomes empowers self-interest. And this is why I talk to business leaders. People think that hashtag, that hashtag causing is all about Twitter. Hell no. It's about the consulting work that I do to get business leaders to change policies because they understand it's in their best interest. It's in their self-interest. I have no problem with appealing to people's self-interest um, because by appealing to business leaders' self-interest, we all benefit. If they understand it, it benefit makes their businesses better. It will make you as an employee's better, uh, experience at work better. It will make the partnerships that you, that you the, the partnerships that you align with to get your products and services out the door better. It will help the customer have a better experience, and it will help the investors have a better uh, return on investment. But it's difficult to create that environment since racist power makes laws that illegalize most protest threats. Organizing and protesting are much harder and more impactful than mobilizing and demonstrating. Seizing power is much harder than protesting power and demonstrating its excesses. And I wrote just confirmation because this is what this hashtag causal scene is all about. When we attend and organize demonstrations thinking they are protests, thinking they can change power and policies and see no change happening, it's hard for us not to become cynical. It is hard to think we actually have all the tools for success. And so I'll end with what I wrote in the margin here. I hope that the strategies we develop and implement as a community are encouraging enough for you to stay engaged and committed. So with that, I'll say thank you um, and have a wonderful day. Goodbye. 
Thanks for listening to this special episode of the Hashtag Call the Scene podcast. I would like once again to give thanks to the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, Professor Ibram X. Kendi. Learn more about his work at his website at ibramxkendi.com. Please consider becoming an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Call the Scene movement by visiting the website at hashtagcallthescene.com. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Call the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.